Obviously, the time continuum has been disrupted, creating this new temporal event sequence resulting in this alternate reality. English, Doc. Here, here, here. Let me, let me illustrate. Imagine that this line represents time. Here's the present, 1985, the future, and the past. Prior to this point in time, somewhere in the past, the timeline skewed into this tangent, creating an alternate 1985. Alternate to you, me, and Einstein, but reality for everyone else. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Pittsburgh Sports Memories Podcast. My name is Tim Hannon. And I'm Steve Ward. And on this episode, we decided to do something a little different. We're going we're gonna to channel one of our favorite movies, Back to the Future Part 2. And we're going to look at some alternate timelines. So if you've never seen Back to the Future 2, first of all, what's wrong with you? And, and if you but if you have never seen it, the, the premise of the movie is that um, one of the characters goes back in time, he alters an event in the past, and then it creates an alternate 1985 for the two main characters. Like they're transported into this alternate reality where uh, everything's different from what it was. And so we thought we'd apply that to Pittsburgh sports. We take some significant moments in Pittsburgh sports and then sort of say, okay, here's what happened in the original timeline. And then, and then um, sort of present a, uh, you know, a, a creative sort of speculative, what would have happened differently uh, had, had things gone differently. So a little different and it's gonna, gonna be us speculating a lot in this episode on things that could have happened, but we thought it'd be fun to go back and, 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 and do. So Steve's gonna take the first one here yeah, I'm gonna. We're gonna start with the first one, and I guess I guess these things could be big or bad, good or bad, considering your perspective. Because uh, right, the same thing happens to Marty in the first one. Like he does change the future, but it's all positive. So like, I mean, it's bad for Biff, I guess. But <laughs> Biff's now auto detailing instead but of wrecking his that. dad's car, and now they all have a nice house, and he's a writer. You're right, but in the second one, it, it's yeah. bad for Marty. So yeah. you're right. These are the same thing. It could have turned out. Better for the Pittsburgh Well, you'll see with the first worse? one, yeah. So we'll dive into the first one. So here's what we call uh, Ben Misses the ta Tackle. The original timeline is that Ben Roethlisberger tackles Nick Harper in the 2005 AFC Divisional Championship game against the Colts, and uh, the Steelers win the game and the Super Bowl that year. Uh, we covered just that game in uh, a podcast that uh, just dropped. And um, so now in the alternative timeline, um, Let's go back. Ben misses the tackle. Uh, Nick Harper decides to stay to the right, and uh, Ben can't catch him, and he, you know, dances his way, celebrates with, like, the little one and two guys over in the corner. They're having fun, you know, and, uh, you know, confetti's all over the field. Um, it's it's a great moment. It's like, you know, NFL films, the all-time greatest moments in Colts history, you know. They were down to, you know, in my best John Vicenda voice, you know. Down with three timeouts and after a sack on Peyton Manning, <laughs> Nick Harper didn't give up. But uh, anywho, uh, so what happens is after the Colts win the game, Jerome Bettis, who had almost retired the year before, 
decides that the bus stops in Indianapolis, and he retires after the game. Um, unfortunately, Bettis joins other all-time sport figures in sport figures in infamy, just not locally, like Stan Belinda, who gave up the hit, um, Tim McHire, who got burned, um, Fred Snodgrass, who nobody will remember, he dropped like a fly ball in like the 1920-something World Series, uh, Bill Buckner, the guy who missed the ball for the Red Sox at first base, Ernest Biner, the fumble. <laughs> Ernest Biner was another guy who fumbled that cost uh, Cleveland a game. And, of course, poor Scott Norwood. Oh, Scott Norwood just missed a field goal, but it did cost the Bills a Super Bowl. So what else happens besides just poor poor Jerome Bettis? Because of that, Jerome Bettis doesn't get to open his restaurant because who wants to eat at a restaurant of a loser who all he can do is fumble when the <laughs> game's on the line. He doesn't get a local or national TV shows. He, he And even with him finishing with uh, 13,000 career rushing yards in the NFL, he doesn't make the Hall of Fame because all anyone can ever remember is that fumble. So he's like still like top 10 in rushing and finished his career that had this great career. It's just like it, it, even, you know, I, I mean, maybe that one's debatable that he has in the Hall of Fame, but I would say it would have taken him a lot longer, if ever, to yeah. get in. yeah. I agree. Um, the play, unfortunately, goes down in Pittsburgh infamy to, uh, for the Pittsburgh perspe- perspective. It joins the Sid Slid 94 game, ni- the Sid Slid game, the 94 AFC Championship game, the Pens losing the Islanders in Game 7 in 92 and 93. Um, <clears throat> the Colts do survive. Um, it's great for the Colts. They, they survive and they advance. I think they beat Denver at home and they beat Seattle in Seattle – can cry about the officials to to the Colts. Um, I have the Colts repeating the following year because they that's what they ended up doing was they end up winning the next year. So they go back to back and they win Super Bowl Forty One in the rain over the Bears and uh, that amazing quarterback Rex Grossman. Um, Peyton uh, Peyton Manning retires with three Super Bowl rings. Tony Dungy also finishes career with two Super Bowl wins. Um, Bill Cowher maybe hangs on for one more year after that and decides that, you know, he's sick of getting his gas at night, you know, so he, he retires after a disappointing season. His wife also is ill, so maybe he's just, you know, there's some personal stuff going on. It's kind of sad. It's kind of you know, really sad for poor Bill there. And um, he's obviously not on the CBS show or anything. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Uh, Coward never wins a Super Bowl. He goes down in history like Bud Grant or Marv Levy or even his mentor Marty Schottenheimer. You know, the good, really good coaches that just never could bring home the big one. Even with all success and great wins, he's another guy who just never, because he never wins that Super Bowl, he never makes the NFL Hall of Fame, I don't think. Uh, Mike Tomlin, they still hire Mike Tomlin after that next season. And uh, Mike Tomlin does take the Steelers to Super Bowl 43, and they still win on the Super Bowl, the San Antonio catch, and that's the one for the thumb. Hmm. So it's not complete. I didn't completely go outlandish. I kind of tried to harmonize it with, like, stuff that still happened, you know? <laughs> yes. So the timelines still kind of merge, you know, because, you know, I'm not, like, thinking it's totally just going to go one way. Um, unfortunately, the ripple effect is that the Patriots have the most Super Bowl wins of all time, six. Hello, yeah, you don't have that bragging right over them anymore now. The Bill Belichick and uh, Tom Brady have the most Super Bowl wins. Well, they do anyway, but they six, no doubt, can't, can't even debate it. And this is all due to Ben not, 
Not making, not making the tackle. Oh, dude, and Nick Harper turning right instead of left. Yeah, yeah, really. Wow. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So that one's kind of depressing uh, in a lot of different ways. <laughs> not the least of which is now the Patriots have six Super Bowl wins. Yes. Uh, All right. Well, that's that's a good start. I'm going to go with another. I'm going to go hockey with my first one. And my this one's called Uwe Krupp's Shot is Blocked. So... Here's what happened in the original timeline. In the 89-90 season, the Penguins are battling for a playoff spot. Uh, Mario was having a really good year that year, Mario Lemieux. He had actually put together this record scoring streak where he scored in like 50 straight games. Uh, But he hurt his back and misses almost two months of the season. Uh, The Pens are still in contention for a playoff spot all the way down to the last game of the season versus Buffalo. And to get into the playoffs, they don't need to beat Buffalo. They just need to at least tie Buffalo. So back then they didn't have the shootouts. If you played five minutes overtime and the game ended, it just ended in a tie. Uh, And uh, as an added boost for this game, Mario actually returns his first game in months. He's still very hobbled, but he is still effective. He actually scores a goal and has an assist. And uh, of course the game does go into overtime and literally all the pens need to do to get to the playoffs is to skate around for five minutes and at least force a tie. I mean, if they score a goal and win, that's that gets them in also. But at the very least, just don't let them score. Well, Uwe Krupp is a defenseman for the Buffalo Sabres. He only had two goals the whole season. He scores on a 60-foot slap shot from the blue line. I mean, he was shooting it from outer space, and he scores. And Uwe Krupp had a knack for scoring dramatic goals. Uh, years later, he actually scored the Stanley Cup-winning goal for the Colorado Avalanche in an overtime uh, game against the Florida Panthers. Uh, so the Pens lose, and the final playoff spot in the Patrick Division goes to the Islanders, not the Penguins. So they miss the playoffs on that goal. And it's at the time, it's seen as like this absolutely disastrous moment for the Penguins, <coughs> who had had many disastrous moments up to this point in their franchise history. But looking back on it years later, it's actually a blessing in disguise because the Penguins, as a result of not making the playoffs, now possess the number five overall pick in the 1990 draft, and they use it to select a winger, a Czech winger named Jaromir Jager. Jager helps lead the Penguins to the next two Stanley Cups and becomes one of the greatest and most enigmatic players in team history. So um, that's what happened in the original timeline. So let's go with the alternate timeline where Krupp's shot is blocked. He does not get that puck in, and the Penguins hang on for a tie, and they advance to the postseason. So in that timeline, Mario is still clearly hampered by the back injury. So the Penguins make it to the playoffs, but they bow out pretty early. I mean, without a healthy Mario, they didn't really have that good of a team otherwise. So now they're eliminated from the playoffs and they no longer possess that number five draft pick. So they miss out on drafting Yarmir Yager. So the next year they make it to the playoffs and in the first round of the playoffs, they face the New Jersey Devils. In the original timeline of that 91 season, the Devils won three of the first five games of that series. The one, one of the games that the Penguins won was game two, which was won in overtime on a goal by Yarmir Yager. So without Yager there to score the overtime goal, the Devils win game two. They take the series in five games. The 91 Penguins are eliminated in the first round, and it's devastating. The Penguins put together some decent playoff runs after that, but they never do win a Stanley Cup. Mario retires without a championship. 
1999, when Yager scores the quote-unquote franchise-saving goal against the Devils, we did a whole episode about that, he's not there to score that goal either. The, the team in total bankruptcy and ruin without the money that they would have had from winning the Cups and the popularity from that. Uh, they're, they're bankrupt, they're taken over by the league, and they're moved to Kansas City. And years later, Steve and I do a podcast episode on Pittsburgh sports memories reflecting on the time when Pittsburgh had a pro hockey team. Wow, that's kind of, uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a rough <laughs> you one. You thought yours was a downer. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this, this one almost had like a uh, it's a wonderful life feel. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when I was writing that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, like it's like you, you weren't, weren't there, there to, to pull him out of the ice. Yeah, all the you, men on that transport died because Harry Bailey wasn't there to save them. Because you weren't there. Barely, to save there's Harry. a war hero. <laughs> My best James Jimmy Stewart. Uh. Uh, yeah, it is. It, I mean, mine kind of had a ripple effect too. But there are a lot of weird ripple effects when you start kind of unpacking these. Well, and it, it's hard to predict. I mean, we obviously had fun with it. So, I mean, like sure. I said, you, you can get as ridiculous as you want. Sure, with this. sure. And predicting the future is like, you know, who can? But, but, but I mean, without yeah. Yager, the, the, the Penguins, I mean, that's, that's I don't think that's too Maybe far somebody catch. else comes along. Maybe, like, Yager, too. Like, that's why Yager fell to fifth. Like, everybody knew he was the best player, but nobody thought he would come from the Czech Republic for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Because, so, and it was, was still like, well, 90, when did the wall... Was it, it was the wall was down in 89. 89. So was, but I think the Russian republics were still, but the Czech hadn't, I think it was still Czechoslovakia. Things, things were still dodgy. Yeah, Let's like Czechoslovakia was still Czechoslovakia. Like Czechs and Slovakia and said, you you know, you keep Yager, we'll take Hosa and call it a day. You know? <laughs> yeah, you, you don't That's know. That's how I remember my Czechs and my Slovaks. Just there, you, you, know, don't know what, you don't know what would have happened, but definitely the Penguins would not have had a high draft pick. And all it would have taken yeah. would have been somebody to say, hey, we'll draft them. And the Penguins would have been stuck with yeah. who knows who. And Yager it might was, have been, yeah. Yager is one of the most pivotal picks, definitely, in team history and outside all, of Lemieux. And yeah. that's all because Uwe Krupp for the Sabres blasted a shot from 60 yeah. feet away. And, and Lemieux, like, without the Stanley Cups, wouldn't have had the clout to, like, buy the That's Penguins what I'm or save the team. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a good one. Harry Bailey's a war hero. <laughs> uh, um, the next one is uh, a great what if, and every I've thought this a million times. Uh, Dan Marino is drafted by the Steelers. <sighs> Chuck Knoll and Art Nooney, Ernie Rooney Jr., who is – Dan Rooney's younger brother who ran the scouting. They uh, the original time Brian goes, they draft Gabe Rivera instead of Dan Marino. Uh, in his book, which I read, his logic was was well, we built with the defensive line the first time. That's how we're going to do it. And you know, Dan Rooney actually came up with a plan to get Dan Marino, but was laughed out of the room by his younger brother in Chuck Knoll. Um, Gabe Rivera unfortunately got in a car accident and became paralyzed and never, you know, senior sack never got any sacks in the uh, in the, uh, <laughs> the NFL. Uh, the Steelers slid in the mediocrity through the 80s, and they really don't draft another for franchise quarterback until 2004 with Ben Roethlisberger. So they kind of go from Terry Bradshaw to Ben Roethlisberger with really the only quarterbacks of any note were Neil O'Donnell and Cordell Stewart. Right. So... <clears throat> um, the alternate timeline is Dan Rooney somehow walks in he doesn't tell that it's uh, John Clayton's idea he just pitches it his own so Chuck Knoll and uh, his younger brother take him seriously and they're like hey you know what that's not a bad idea we're going to 
pass on a defensive line, we're going to take that quarterback. They don't come around that often. I know there's like four this year, but I got a feeling, you know, if we don't take one, we're not going to have one for a while. So the Steelers, uh, when they draft Dan Marino, they remain in win-now Super Bowl mode. And in 1984, when they have to play Miami, now the roles are reversed. And Don Shula has to have David Woodley or whoever he had at quarterback <laughs> instead of Marino. And uh, the, the Marino smokes smokes them in the uh, you know championship game. They go on. The Steelers, uh, I have them beating Miami and San Francisco in the Super Bowl. San Francisco was really good that year. But Miami was competitive in that Super Bowl. And and Pittsburgh had beaten – San Francisco lost one game in 1984. And Who was it against? It was against us. It so, was against the Steelers. So, yeah. There you go. So now, yeah. So, okay, there's one for the thumb there. We got our one for the thumb. Um, Chuck Knoll gets, I, I'm going to guess, at least two more Super Bowl wins. He still retires in 1991 with six Super Bowls. Take that, Bill Belichick. And Don Shula, he has the all-time win record. Ha, ha. So Dan Marino it does even better. He gets four Super Bowl rings total. Because I'm saying, like, that 89 team that started off so badly that no one to turn around, if he has Dan Marino instead of Bobby Brister, like, they probably win a Super They probably pull out, like, an improbable, like, they probably pull on an improbable Super Bowl win somewhere else along the way. I can see it. Yeah, Bill Marino gets Bill Cowher as coach, and uh, Marino doesn't throw interceptions to people covering grass. <laughs> so, so hey, they win Super Bowl thirty, and Dan Marino decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to outplay John Elway in that in in the ne- in the AFC Championship game in '97. He doesn't throw interceptions to middle linebackers named Romanowski or whoever he did. So the Steelers win that Super Bowl too over uh, Green Bay. Marino goes out like John Elway style, like, you know, this one's for Dan, you know. He retires in 1999 with, uh, what did I say, four four Super Bowl rings. Now, here's the, like, kind of like the up, the weird downside of that is uh, John Elway retires without a Super Bowl ring. Mm. So this one isn't for John. Uh, and the 49ers only have three Super Bowl titles, so, you know, without... You know, it's kind of like the Harry Baylor, you know. Dan Marino is a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, and John Elway isn't. So, and the 49ers only have three Super Bowl wins, and, you know, there you go. <laughs> wow. Wow, I like that one. Yeah, that's a, I figured it can't be all downers, right? Some <laughs> got to work out in your favor eventually. <laughs> Good one. I like it. All right, I'm going to go with another one that would have worked out potentially better and this one i'm i'm definitely getting into the highly speculative territory here (laughs) this one is called joe flacco keeps the drive alive so in the original timeline pitt pitt's hosting nebraska this is september 18th 2004 a game at heinz field pitt versus nebraska the starting quarterback for pitt is tyler palco and he's having an awful game he throws three interceptions and he's actually booed by the home fans so the head coach of Pitts, Walt Harris, and he sends a red fir- redshirt freshman into the game by the name of Joe Flacco. This is uh, late in the third quarter because they're down by a lot. What does he have to lose? He puts Joe Flacco into the game. Uh, Flacco does scramble for one first down, but then his only other pass attempt, he's sacked. And it leads to a third and long, and Harris, like typical Walt Harris call, uh, calls for a quick kick on third and long, and Flacco shanks the punt because he's not a punter. 
Uh, and so then that's the end of Joe Flacco. He brings Palco back into the game. Um, and Palco actually recovers yet. He almost leads Pitt back from a 14-point deficit. Uh, the, the Pitt still loses, but Palco becomes entrenched as a starter for the remainder of the season. Actually leads Pitt to the Fiesta Bowl that year. Uh, pretty, pretty good season for Pitt in 2004. We covered that in another uh, episode. Uh, Flacco, you know, he realizes, hey, I, I have no future here. Um, Palco's the starter. So he transfers to Delaware, and he establishes himself there, uh, and he leads to him being selected number 18 overall by the Ravens in 2008. Flacco becomes a central figure in the Steelers-Ravens rivalry, and he ultimately leads the Ravens to a Super Bowl victory in Super Bowl 47 and is named as that game's MVP. So things worked out pretty well for Joe Flacco, I would say, after that. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's imagine that instead of getting sacked on second down, Flacco escapes the pressure and finds Greg Lee, the wide receiver, for a first down. Greg Lee made a catch. Wow, impressive. Yeah. impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Lee had a good season that year. That was, the, that was before he had the bad season. And then, Well, no, then he decided he wanted to go pro, and which is one of the most curious yes. decisions. Like, you're the most mediocre college player. Yes. Who, whoever's telling you this is giving you bad advice. He, he, yeah, that was, yeah. yeah, that was unfortunate. <laughs> we, we'll cover that at a different time. Like people that made really bad decisions. He, he, yeah. got, he got hoodwinked by an agent. It was yeah. sad. Anyway, in this case, Greg Lee catches the pass for a first down. So Flacco's still on the f- field, and he marches the team down the field, scores a touchdown, gets the ball back, scores another touchdown to complete the comeback against Nebraska. And so now, in this timeline, Walt Harris is left with no choice but to continue to start Flacco. And Flacco continues to stack wins, leads Pitt to a Big East title, and a victory this time over Urban Meyer in Utah in the Fiesta Bowl. Joe Flacco beats Alex Smith, huh? Nice. Yes. Nice. Yes. Uh, Harris is retained as head coach. In the original timeline, remember, Harris yeah, did left. not last after the season, but yeah. because of all the success with Flacco, he's retained as head coach. And together, Harris and Flacco, along with um, other stars like Darrell Revis and Shady McCoy, build Pitt into a powerhouse, leading to an undefeated <coughs> season in 2007. Uh, so Flacco's really now, instead of being at the University of Delaware and being like a potentially a good pro quarterback, Flacco is playing Division I football for a team that's uh, really on the rise. And instead of being drafted number 18 by the Ravens in the 2008 draft, Flacco is drafted number three overall by the Atlanta Falcons, who had instead that year in the original timeline had used that pick to draft Matt Ryan. Uh, the Falcons, with Joe Flacco as quarterback, blow out the Patriots in Super Bowl 51 and do not blow the lead. Flacco is named MVP. And after that game, Tom Brady is so heartbroken that he retires. <laughs> Nice, nice. I like. I, I, I like. I like that Tom Brady's retiring. Uh, <laughs> I had to throw that in there yeah. for all the Brady haters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Flacco just completes that pass on second down, Tom Brady's not playing anymore. <laughs> I think it's a logical conclusion. Make makes sense. Boy, there's quite the ripple effect on that one. Yes. Yeah, I'm not sure that like Walt Harris can can recruit Lashawn McCoy because that was a one stat recruit. But hey, you never know. Uh, he just—he was a local kid, though. And, and, and I mean, Flacco was never going to start a quarterback because his name isn't Palco, and his dad Bob co- doesn't coach, you know, West Allegheny. At well, the that's why—that's why Flacco had to like had to win, the, actually win the game against Nebraska. It wouldn't have mattered. I don't think it would have mattered. I don't think it would. I, I think the pressure would have been high enough because Palco had not. Remember, Palco had only started two games at that point in his career. Yeah. So, I mean, if Flacco's the hot hand, I think I think it might have happened. 
<clears throat> well, <clears throat> be that as it may, and Tom Brady is now retired with only, what, <laughs> three or four Super Bowls. So. Right. So uh, we're going to go with, uh, this is another kind of sad one. Uh, the Immaculate Reception is ruled illegal touching. Hmm. Um, in the original timeline, um, we're in the Immaculate Reception. Um, the ball, is, you know, fourth and ten, the ball bounces off. Either Frenchie Fuqua or Jack Tatum, depending on who you talk to. The ball is caught out of the air by Franco, riding his white horse. And that's my best Jack Fleming impersonation. <laughs> um, Jack Fleming would describe it. Uh, this kind of starts the Steelers dynasty of the 1970s. They did lose to the undefeated uh, Miami Dolphins that year. So, But uh, hopefully one of these years some team will put a nice little asterisk on there to say, hey, we also went undefeated. Yeah. But um, uh, this starts the Steelers dynasty of 1970s in a run of four Super Bowls in six years. It really transforms the team from perennial loser into model NFL franchise. And we've kind of covered that in Steelers Dark Ages and such stuff. So Fred, Fred Swearingen, um rules that Frenchie Fuqua touched the ball, making the play illegal. This is the alternate time. Yes. Yeah, right? so now, now we're in the alternate universe land. So, like, you know, he goes to the telephone calls and says yes we have the national guard waiting outside you're fine he's like okay cool so he's like yep yep it, he touched it they can't can't do that it's not a touchdown and that was the role at the time if the offensive yeah. player touched it you couldn't have two touch it in right. concession i guess or concessively yeah there you go okay That's so he's like. so he, you're saying he's rolling it in incomplete pass. pass yes okay. or illegal whatever the d penalty would yeah, have yeah. been plays over steelers lose the raiders celebrate uh, the Raiders lose in the AFC Championship to the to the 72 Dolphins anyway. Um, John Madden and Phil Villapiano brag about this game until this day. Uh, riots ensue in Three River Stadium, but it's quickly subdued as the game was blacked out locally and nobody else knew the game was going on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you meet somebody that says they were there of the game, they were like part of the million people that said they were there that really weren't. And... Uh, it's it's SOS like which the polite way of saying is same old Steelers but really you know mm -hmm. people would say same old poop with the, and the Steelers never really recover it's like the Steelers have always been it's like even when they get a good team it seems like a break an unfortunate break goes against them uh, this really sets the team back uh, no Super Steelers of the 1970s they don't really win a Super Bowl game. They're kind of like the San Diego Chargers or one of those teams, just an also-ran. Unfortunately, Art Rooney Sr., the Chief, never gets his Super Bowl win. Neither does Chuck Knoll. Uh, Rocky Blyer has, like, you know, reminiscing games about about this, like, years later with him and Villapiano and Madden, where Rocky Blyer plays the role of Villapiano, like, whining and crying about, oh, you know, Frenchie really touched it, you know, so... So the roles are totally reversed, which is just hilarious to think, like, watch Rocky Blyer, like, complain about that. But uh, the NFL, uh, in general, is missing a great play in its history. And it takes, uh, the NFL doesn't really reach its, like, like it really, NFL really took off in the 70s because of that Steelers-Dallas rivalry. So they really don't, don't have an iconic play until the Dwight Clark catch in the 81 championship game. So... Yeah, that's kind of in that in in the yeah that's San Francisco beating Dallas, so that's a big rivalry game too. So uh, the Steelers finally win their first Super Bowl in 2005 in Super Bowl 40. 
you know, Bill Cowler finally brings the first championship home after, what would that be, 1933 to 2005. Yipes. That's 70-something. Yeah, you were entering Arizona Cardinal territory yeah. here. So, uh, yeah, the Steelers, uh, another, like, fallout from this is Steelers have, like, 10 less Hall of Fame inductees. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. they don't have their own wing of the Hall of Fame, you know. Like, maybe, like, I don't know. I'm sure somebody still would have made it from, like, I mean, Joe Green probably still makes it or something like that. But definitely not, like, the tertiary players like Ham or Lambert or, you know, definitely not the receivers. Maybe Stallworth. Stallworth was pretty good. I don't know. So that's kind of a downer. But at least the wow. Steelers got their one Super Bowl in Super Bowl Forty. <laughs> so you're going with that, like, that play literally launched the dynasty? Yeah, yeah. even though it really did. Even though I know they lost, I mean, I guess I went kind of really dark on that. I mean, who knows? Maybe they lose that that game and they still recover and they win like one or two Super Bowls. Well, in the I, 70s. I think I think like you said though, like there's a lot to be said about the mentality and the culture. Like, like you said, it was literally 40 years of everything going against them, and like that that kind of turned all the mentality around. Like, yeah. oh, thing, good things can happen. Yeah. So and I, it took it took Noel three sixty nine to seventy two to build that right, team. Right. That's how bad they were. It took him three. I mean, I realize free agency isn't what it wasn't what it was back then. There was none. So you really had to. It took him three draft class to even build to making the playoffs. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe they still win a Super Bowl. I mean. Yeah, but that's that's interesting though because again it. it you know, it, I just think it's funny the role reversal too. Like now, Rocky Blyer's like <laughs> complaining. You know, yeah. the NFL films. Yeah, yeah. But no, in the NFL at Hall too would have been hurt too because like they wouldn't have had those Steelers Cowboys Super Bowls yeah. in the seventies, and it really would have been until the San Francisco teams. You know, well maybe Dow. I didn't put that in there. Maybe Dallas wins another Super Bowl. That's a good without point. the Steelers in there. Maybe Dallas now has four. That's Super the team Bowl. of the seventies. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, yeah, that would have had a lot of repercussions. Yeah. Well, thank goodness it was called the way it was. <laughs> I like the riot being subdued easily. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> I thought you were going to go somewhere different with them, like yeah. the stadium burned down or something. <laughs> well, they started a small fire, but there was only you know thirty thousand people there. So, uh, um, okay. So I'm going with for my next one. I'm going with Joe Montana never gets hurt in the 1990 NFC Championship game. And you may be saying, "Well, Tim, what does that have to do with Pittsburgh sports?" And I will get there. <laughs> Just give me a second. So, 1990, the San Francisco 49ers just won the last two Super Bowls, and they're dominant. I mean, I, I don't know, Steve, if you remember. Like, if I, I think it's hard if you weren't around then to remember, like, how good the 49ers were I remember the 55 to, like, what was that, 7 or? Yeah, against Denver the year yeah. before. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in 1990, Montana was the league MVP that year. So, like, they were they were still rolling. Like, they were yeah. going to win a third straight And they Super had Bowl. Steve Young as their backup. They the did. Yeah. And he'll factor into yeah. this one. So, I mean, they're going to win another Super Bowl. Like, it's just a given almost at this point. Uh, Montana's in his absolute prime. Like I said, he's the league MVP that year. Well, they find themselves in a, in a defensive slugfest in the NFC Championship game at home against the New York Giants. And Leonard Marshall, in the second half of that game, he um, hits Montana from behind and badly, badly injures him. Montana is hit so hard, he has, he suffers a bruised sternum, bruised stomach, cracked ribs, and a broken hand. Montana misses all of the, the subsequent 1991 season and most of the 1992 season, 
and never again starts another game for the 49ers. Didn't he do something to his arm, too? Because I remember his arm wasn't quite right after that either. Because like he was like throwing the ball when that guy he hit He was, him. yeah. So it was like a really bad time to get hit. It, it was, and yeah. it was from behind. He never yeah. saw it coming. Yeah, it, it I was, think he did something to his elbow or something. I, I mean, it... Yeah. it, it, it it, he never play, he didn't play again, and he never was quite the same again. Like no. he was still had like a couple decent years in Kansas City he did. and that after that, but 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 I mean yeah. he again he went from being the league MVP, the best player in football, to just kind of mediocre. Well, to not yeah. playing for two years. Yeah, geez. Like that was that yeah. was it's a very significant moment in NFL history. Um, it opens the door. That play again. We're still in the original timeline. That play has ripple effects because it does open the door for Dallas to take over as the dominant NFL team, and it opens the door for, as you mentioned, Steve, for Steve Young to commence his Hall of Fame career. He, he was backing up Montana at the time. Now he is the starter, and he it's his team after this. Uh, the Giants go on to win that game. They upset the 49ers, and then they, they go on to upset the Bills in the Super Bowl, the Buffalo Bills. And the 49ers and Bills were, like, you could argue that those, 1990, those two offenses were maybe two of the top 10 offenses in league history. And the guy that architected the, the those victories was the defensive coordinator of the Giants, Bill Belichick. Uh, Belichick's game plan from Super Bowl 25 that year is actually in the Pro Football Hall of Fame on display because that's how shocking it was that he was able to dismantle those two offenses. Um, on, a, on, a per, on a personal note, I remember you always still complain about the lottery after this because that was when they would put the uh, game on the little box, like while yeah. they drew the wall. And that was the game-winning field goal, and the Giants, yes. you had to watch it. On, I had to watch it in the yeah, middle corner the of the screen because well, pencil. It was like Roger Craig fumbled, and then yeah. Matt Barr lined up for the field goal, and they were like, here we go for the, for the right to the and Super And the winning goal. numbers today yeah. are five. Yes. I had forgotten about that. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Um, I just remember you always complaining about I, I, yeah, that. Yeah, it was the worst timing. <laughs> yeah. um, so impressed by this run, the Cleveland Browns hire Belichick as their head coach. And Belichick actually puts together a really talented staff in Cleveland. Uh, guys like Ozzie Newsom, Scott Pioli, Nick Saban, Kirk Ferentz. Uh, he actually has a really good staff. They make it to the playoffs in 94, but then everything kind of falls apart when Modell moves the team in 95. Uh, Belichick, of course, later goes on to become the head coach of the New England Patriots and wins six Super Bowls. So that's the original timeline. Let's go with the timeline where Montana just kind of ducks out of the way and avoids the hit. So, so we have like that, like that little sound effect they make when things change. Yes, yes. the little ripple in yeah. the, in the uh, space-time continuum. Or the one, yeah, it was like a little chime in like uh, Back to the Future. Like, <laughs> would I be looking at like a paper? Like, yeah, 49ers win. Yeah, ooh. So Montana avoids the hit. The 49ers win the NFC Championship game, and they win their third straight Super Bowl. Now, Cleveland, who in the original timeline was concerned about hiring Belichick. So, so people don't remember this. When, when Cleveland did hire Belichick, he was only in his 30s. He had never been an NFL head coach. And nowadays, you see that a lot, right? Like Sean McVay and Sean McDermott. And you, you, like, you see, like, let's hire the young, smart coach. Back then, that was, like, not a thing at all. You never hired young coaches. And Cleveland took a lot of criticism. Modell took a lot of criticism when he made that hire because what are you doing hiring that guy even after Belichick had won those two big games? So without with Belichick losing in the championship game, 
Cleveland decides to go with one of their other finalists. They, they go with Rams defensive coordinator Fritz Shermer, who is much older and more experienced. And Belichick stays on Parcell's staff for the 91 season in New York. Well, now here's where it gets into Pittsburgh territory. Because after the 91 season, Chuck Noll retires from the Steelers. And what were the Steelers looking for to replace Chuck Noll? They had kind of two things they wanted to hit. One, they wanted a defensive coach. And two, they wanted a young coach because Steelers don't turn to coaches. They want guys to be there for years and years. Well, guess who fits that profile in 1991? It's Giants defensive coordinator Bill Belichick. So the Steelers hire Bill Belichick to be their head coach in 1992. Now, Belichick, unsatisfied with having uh, Bubby Brister and Neil O'Donnell as his quarterbacks, he goes out and engineers a trade with San Francisco for disgruntled backup Steve Young. Yeah, Tom Donahoe is going to go along with this. <laughs> oh, he's going to go along with this. He's going along with it. And, and, and so you're counting on Tom Donahoe going along with this and Dan Rooney signing off on well, this. Well, it wouldn't, have had to be, it wouldn't have had to be that big of a trade because Steve Young's a backup. Remember, oh, okay. Montana, Montana right. never yeah, gets so hurt. So Montana never got hurt. Never. Uh, okay, so I'm, the, I'm in. So Steve Young yeah. doesn't want us to be there anymore. He's a backup. You probably maybe like a second or third round pick. You know, you don't have to give up the role for him because he hasn't done anything well, yet. Well, you got to remember Dan's philosophy was you never mortgage the future for a trade. Because right. what's his name? Burt Bell or, or not Burt, but uh, one of the – Goofy goofball coaches before Noel used to do that every year. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. It would have had to have been a reasonable trade, but I think it would have been because Steve Young was a failed starter in Tampa Bay, and he's a backup in San Francisco. So you remember, like the the Packers got Brett Favre, I think, for a second or third round pick because he was a backup in Atlanta. Yeah. He hadn't done anything yet either. So I think you get him for not that much. So now Belichick has Steve Young as his starting quarterback for the Steelers. With Young in a great defense and unencumbered by franchise instability that he had in Cleveland, Belichick wins three Super Bowls in the 1990s. And when Young retires after the 1999 season, which also happened in the original timeline, Belichick drafts Michigan quarterback Tom Brady in oh, the 2000 draft. I got a room for draft. Tom Brady now? I don't know. And the Steelers, <laughs> under Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, win six more Super Bowls. So, so I got to deal with Josh McDaniel and Bill Belichick <laughs> stealing signals on the sidelines. And, yep, and the Steelers are accused as cheaters, and everybody in Pittsburgh <laughs> defends them. And, what a role reversal. And in, in 2020, Belichick enters his fourth decade as Steelers head coach with nine championships under his belt. All because Joe Montana moved out of the way. Uh, it's definitely interesting. Uh, I don't know if the Steelers would hire a guy like Belichick because, like, he's he's like such a like he would sell his own mother for a win. Like, I don't I don't mean that he actually would, but I mean he's just he'll do anything to win. Yeah, he'll I, actually stretch the rule book, and that doesn't seem like. But like the Steelers going, don't seem to like like. You're going with what we know about Belichick now. In 1991, he's a defensive coordinator who's young, and he like you don't you don't I don't know that you know all that about him at this point. Okay, well you know, and and he would have been a hot because Jimmy Johnson was kind of the same way. Like Jimmy Johnson would do any you know anything. Right, but Jimmy Johnson had been the coach at Miami. Yeah, had more success. Well, and but you knew that about him. Like he was a college coach, and you knew that his reputation. Although, although another thing that would have I think would have worked for Belichick probably would have liked it here. Is like, did you hear that interview with Tomlin about like his interview with like Dan Rooney? 
like Dan came like in a, like a two door Buick and picked up Tomlin and his wife and right. and Rooney and his wife and like they're all sitting in this like literally like like just normal car you know and they went out to eat and like they sat in the front seat and talked and I guess they're why. So like, but I could see like Bill Belichick's that kind of guy though that he would like that. I think Belichick would like that kind of. And, and Modell, remember the, the 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 guy that did hire Belichick was Modell. Modell was an old school owner like the Roonies. He was not like Modell. He was know, besides he the move out of Cleveland. Modell was really like kind of a good owner. That's like, what I'm saying. Like it, it, he like, had a, they they all they had a ton more success under Modell than they ever did. They just had a lot of bad breaks in the right, '80s. Right. I mean, you know, just one of those breaks goes the other way, and the Browns have at least one Super Bowl win. It, Modell wasn't Jerry Jones, so I think if Modell hired Belichick, I think Rooney would have too. Okay, ah. I, I I can't I I could see like way like I could see like both sides. Like I could see like a vote for him, a vote against him, and I'm not like I only know what I know what I read by Dan Ray, and I don't you know it's. It's hard for me. Like normally, sometimes like you can peg. Oh yeah, they're gonna like this guy. But like I don't know. I, the other thing I thought about throwing in there, just because the one thing that I think messes up my scenario here, is that Cower was still there, and Cower was a local guy. So yeah. I almost threw well, they, in there. they interviewed once that once that was the local guy. Right. That was the once that told that story just recently too about like America's team and like Dan Rooney like kind of shot him. Down. I was like, yeah, we were supposed to be American team, and the chief was like, no, we're the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, and so yeah. and so I, I almost threw in there that Cleveland hired Cower instead of Belichick. Oh, that would have been interesting because because yeah. he had played for Cleveland, Cleveland, he had coached for Cleveland. He might have, yeah. Now that would and, and then that I could see that happening too. And then that takes because Marty because he liked Marty Schottenheimer so right. much in the eighties, right? And, yeah. then, and then that takes Cower off the board in ninety two, yeah. and then that makes it I think easier than to hire Belichick because yeah. he's the next up and he's coming. He's the next up, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an that's an interesting one, yeah. Um, shifting gears to the college, and you know, you know me, I always got to put a pit one in here. And uh, this one is probably a little overly optimistic, but you know, pit football never gets any optimism or love. So here you go. Here's your, here's your love letter to to pit football. Uh, Johnny Majors changes pit into a national powerhouse. Uh, <clears throat> the original timeline is Johnny Majors, after winning the national championship, leaves his pit for his alma mater tent. Tennessee. He had a pretty successful career at Tennessee. He never won. I don't know if he ever won the. I don't think he won the SEC or a national championship, but he definitely. He was always had like eight or nine wins. Um, Pitt had some good years until Jackie Sherrill left and they fell apart and they went into mediocrity and things got really worse in the 90s. Pitt had to join the Big East late in the 80s and then the ACC because they kind of like had fell that mediocrity to bad. So and now the 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 real downer of all that is is Pitt doesn't play any of its rivals in football that they played in the seventies and eighties because of not ha- taking football seriously back in eighty two, like that that really caused a ripple effect to where now we don't play Penn State, West Virginia, Notre Dame, or Syracuse. Well, we still play Syracuse every year, but we don't or West Virginia. We don't play those teams every year right. because we didn't take our football team seriously and couldn't form a conference, but we'll get into that later. So, you know, cue the paper changing or whatever noise you want to... <laughs> we need a sound effect for this, yeah. Uh, Johnny Majors decides that, like, he loves Tennessee and everything, but he really likes Pitt, so he's going to stay at Pitt. Uh, Pitt continues winning at a high level, 
And uh, because the university is making so much money off of football and the public absolutely loves Johnny Majors, there's nothing Wesley Potsvart can do. So they, they hire a more friendly chancellor and athletic director to support Johnny Majors. They decide, okay, well, we got this guy. Everybody likes him. He seems like a decent person. Let's, let's take our football seriously. In the early 80s, um, Pitt joins a conference with Penn State like Joe Paterno wanted to. And, like, you know, so now Joe Paterno and Johnny Majors probably who probably would work well together more than Jackie Sherrill because Jackie mm-hmm. Sherrill, I think, annoyed Joe Paterno more than yes. Johnny Majors did. So now, like, those two definitely could have formed a conference, and there's no way you couldn't tell me they couldn't have talked Syracuse, Boston College, Maryland, and Rutgers, and probably West Virginia into joining some sort of conference with them. So that's a big change. And now we have a nice little conference. You know, maybe it's all football-focused, but Maryland's a good basketball school. So Pitt wins another national championship under majors in the 80s because they're continuing to recruit and do well. Uh, majors, instead of coming back to Pitt at 92, he has some heart problems. And, some, and he decides you know, after his health is uh, waning, he, he retires and he's given like an honorary position as athletic director. Uh, Pitt then, you know, with Majors as athletic director and helping making a hire, the next hire, they decide to hire Mike Ditka, who just huh. got, got uh, canned by the uh, Chicago Bears. So now they got this great coach, Mike Ditka, who's obviously going to be able to recruit as a, can, you know, whenever you need that recruit to come to Pitt, you know, they can flash that, you know, Super Bowl ring, which I don't think, Joe Paterno doesn't have any Super Bowl rings, does he? Huh, it's interesting. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, it can't be a Pitt one without digging it, I guess, your rivals are. Um, <clears throat> Mike Dicka continues the winning tradition into the 90s, so the 90s are totally different. Pitt, like, is now a much better, you know, powerhouse uh, with majors and paternos allied the two biggest football powers now Pitt's a strong football power Penn State's a big football power Northeast football isn't irrelevant like it's become and it, and you know and we still have all the population centers all the TVs you know and everything that's focused here it has a lot of clout and power so this new conference goes and goes hey Miami instead of joining like a basketball conference why don't you join ours so they get Virginia Tech I guess WVU I have them coming in at this point in the 90s they go and get Florida State and you know Florida State the heck with the ACC they said you know yeah I think Clemson doesn't like the ACC either so they're gonna they, they like football better than basketball and because they're just like, you know, they're able to talk Notre Dame into joining in maybe some sort of arrangement that Notre Dame always had with the old Big East. So maybe they're not a full-fledged member. Uh, the ACC folds. Uh, North, North Carolina Duke <laughs> just decide to play basketball like they should. And uh, Pitt still plays its rivalry and has a probably, like, because they've never really had, like, a really bad losing season, they retain their fan base a lot better than they have. So, and they're kind of like, where the penguins? I say they're kind of where the penguins are mm-hmm. instead of where they are. But that that one's probably over optimistic, and just my unveiled hate for the ACC is obviously <laughs> on display there. But I don't know if all that would have come true. But I definitely think if they would have had majors and Paterno at their colleges with enough clout and a friendly athletic director, they definitely could have pulled off at least getting. West Virginia and probably Miami and maybe Virginia Tech, you know, they, they could have got those schools to join them in a conference. Yeah, even even if the only <clears throat> even if the only end result of that would be 
playing in a conference with all of our and like rivals. Notre Dame definitely would have joined that conference over the ACC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not maybe not as a full, but you know, still like playing four to six games, and then they could still play their USC's, their you know Michigan's, their you know, because the Michigan rivalry, Notre Dame lost its Michigan rivalry, and that was a pretty you know. So, like I said, it's just you know the the rise of the uh, SEC is totally not even the 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 rise of like the SEC and the ACC is totally killed like so many it's it's ruined college football for a lot of schools that aren't named you know Alabama or Tennessee or Arkansas i you know that that's just it's bad for the fans <laughs> yeah great great for the university i guess yeah and i i never liked Joe Paterno and i don't like Penn State but i will say that his idea to start a conference in the early '80s. He was, was right about that. He was ahead of his yeah. ahead of his time. On he that. saw he saw the future. He did, and it's just Pitt didn't. And then Pitt joins like a basketball conference, right? And that would just that screwed everything up. Yeah, well, I like that one, Steve. I like the, I like the I like the Pitt. <laughs> well, we know. did so many negative ones. We had to do an overly optimistic. Like we did an overly negative. Like yeah, the Steelers not winning any Super Bowl in the seventies. Probably <laughs> overly negative. So we'll do an overly optimistic. We'll go the other way. Johnny, Mike Ditka, and uh, Bill Belichick winning championships in Pittsburgh. I like what, what a different. What a different. And could you imagine then they would still build that shared facility, having Mike Ditka and Bill Belichick in the same building at the same time. <laughs> Goodness gracious! Two opposite personalities. <laughs> maybe, like maybe still would have hired Rex Ryan back, although I don't think they're on speaking diners by that point. <laughs> oh my! Okay. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay, I'm gonna stick with football and go back to the Steelers here. Uh, this one's called Clark Hagen's is more careful with his dumbbells. So, here's what happened in the original timeline. So, in the summer of 2004. Going again back to the year 2004. Uh, Clark Hagens has... Um, it's almost on... like there's a juncture of the universe, a nexus of the... <laughs> or it could all just be a big coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So, so Clark Hagens is a linebacker for the Steelers. And, and in the summer of 2004, uh, life's pretty good for Clark Hagens. He has been designated as the new starting outside linebacker. Uh, the team actually has a lot of faith in Hagens, so much so that they've signed him to a new four-year contract that March, and they had released Jason Gilden, who at the time was the team's all-time sack leader. So they've anointed Clark Hagens a starter, basically. Uh, so Hagens is working out in Georgia, and he's working out with an 85-pound dumbbell. And Steve, if you if you lift heavy dumbbells like I do all the time, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm and, down, I'm down here pumping iron, yeah, right, pumping right, iron, right, and. <laughs> If you ever put, when you put those things back into like the rack, because they're so heavy, like they, they have a tendency they can bounce. Like you have to set them down very gently, but it's hard to set them down gently because your arms sore from lifting from them. tired, yeah. So Hagen's is trying to put this 85 pound dumbbell back in the holster and it kind of bounces up and it catches two of his fingers in between the, the dumbbell and the end of it, smashes his fingers. Uh, really painful injury, but not, not a really serious one. Hagen's is is going to miss time uh, in training camp because he's got broken fingers, but he's actually fine. Um, he, he, he's back in uniform before the se regular season even starts. So there's, like, the, really, in the original timeline, there was very little impact to the 2004 season. In fact, I went back and looked at, like, the news articles. The only, like, scuttlebutt at the time 
was that maybe the injury would open the door for uh, Alonzo Jackson, who was the... <laughs> he was horrible. He was the 2003 <laughs> second-round pick to steal the job away from Higgins. But, yeah, that never happens because, as Steve said, Alonzo Jackson was not good at football. <laughs> uh, I mean, he might be a fine person. I'm sure he's an upstanding individual. Sure, sure. Nothing against his yeah. personal character, yeah. but he just wasn't good at playing the game of football, even though he was a second-round draft pick. So, um, again, it's, it's a footnote, but the impact that it does have is very significant because the Steelers need bodies in training camp at the linebacker position while Higgins recovers, and they bring in a guy named James Harrison. Harrison had been like on and off their practice squad for the previous two years, and he had just been cut earlier that summer by the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, Harrison uses his time wisely. He actually surprises the coaches, and he plays well enough to make the team in 2004. He first catches the attention of fans uh, after playing well uh, in a game in Cleveland. Was that the game where Joey Porter got kicked out before the game? That was the game where Joey Porter got kicked out before the game because... <laughs> yeah, he, like, pulled up his shirt and, like... Because he always, when he talked trash, mm-hmm. he would, like, show his abs because that's, like, mentally... Yeah. Look how in shape I am. You Him, should feel ashamed of yourself. He and the Cleveland running back, I think his name was William Green, if I'm Yeah, that, I think that... Yeah, they got in a fight before... They got into a fight before the game, and they both get ejected before the kickoff, and Harrison has to start in this game in Cleveland, and he actually plays really well. Uh, and that's the first time people are like, oh, this James Harrison guy is actually pretty good. Uh, the next year, he, in Cle- again, in Cleveland, he, ca- he again catches the attention of fans when he body slams an unruly Browns fan who has run onto the field. That guy got banned for life from, from the Did Browns he? game. Or, or at least a year, I think. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he And then they realized, they need, you know, he's a Browns fan. And, <laughs> you know, he's probably miserable <laughs> and can't really fault him. Uh, so that, that's kind of like James Harrison's first two, like, you know, hey, who's this guy? Well, eventually, uh, Harrison becomes a starter in 2007, not replacing Higgins, but replacing, actually, Joey Porter, who um, the Steelers let go of to, to, because they have this guy, Harrison, who they think can take over. In 2008, Harrison's the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year. And more importantly, makes arguably the greatest play in Super Bowl history, intercepting Kurt Warner at the goal line and running it back 100 yards. And when he does retire from pro football in 2017, Harrison, uh, Harrison, not Jason Gillen anymore, is now the franchise's all-time sack leader and one of its greatest ever defensive players. Let's go in an alternate timeline here where Higgins is more careful with his dumbbells. Higgins carefully sets down the 85-pound dumbbell. Very gently, it doesn't bounce up. His fingers are fine. Steelers don't need any additional linebackers. Harrison starts working towards his trucker's license. He's getting a CDL, huh? That's that's what actually what he was doing, going to do. That was his plans. Oh wow! Uh, it, until the Steelers called him, so he actually does go into that. But mid-season, he gets a call from the Ravens, the other team he had been on the practice squad for. And in in the original timeline, the Ravens actually did have some injuries at the linebacker spot that year. So the Ravens, the Ravens decide to sign him midseason to replace some injured guys. And just like he did in Pittsburgh in the original timeline, Harrison plays well enough to be kept on the roster. The Ravens coaches are impressed. Uh, so now Harrison's on the Ravens, not the Steelers. Without Harrison there to stop the drunk Browns fan in 2005, disaster strikes for the Steelers as the fan stumbles into the back of Ben Roethlisberger's knee, knocking him out for the season. Without Ben there to tackle Nick Harper, as we talked about earlier, the Steelers lose to the Colts and do not win the Super Bowl in So, so Ben's standing on the sideline because wasn't the defense was out there when the 
Wasn't yeah. It? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so Ben's just like randomly standing on yes. the sideline and this idiot like falls into him. Yeah, because Could Harrison, you imagine like how mad everybody would have been? Because, well, yeah. that, that could have happened because yeah. Harrison body slammed the guy. The security guards couldn't catch him. But Harrison, James Harrison's a Super Bowl hero. <laughs> Harrison body slammed him. <laughs> yeah. uh, so now the Steelers... And Roethlisberger's a Super Bowl hero. Yeah. So now the Steelers don't win the Super Bowl. Uh, meanwhile, Adelius Thomas leaves the Ravens after the 2006 season in free agency, which actually happened in the original timeline. And so now Harrison's there to take his place, just like when when Porter was gone after 2006. Thomas is gone after 2006, and now he's the starter in Baltimore. And with Harrison on the Ravens <laughs> instead of the Steelers for the 2008 championship game, it's Baltimore who advances to Super Bowl 43, where Harrison picks off Kurt Warner and the greatest play in Baltimore Ravens <laughs> history – all because Clark Higgins took his time placing the dumbbell back on the rack. Well, thank goodness he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> thank goodness Clark Higgins was careless with his weights. Uh, yeah. I couldn't imagine that. Like some fan like injuring a player. That's all that would need to happen. Oh, why? Um, going back to, uh, where are we going back to? Pit football here. Okay, Morgantown. This one's time. Morgantown gets the laugh last. Gets the last laugh. So all you WVU fans, you get you get to have one here. Um, Pitt loses the WVU in 2007. It's the infamous original timeline. Pitt beats WVU 13-9. Rich Rod leaves for Michigan. Les Miles stays at LSU. LSU wins national championship. Tim Tebow wins his Heisman. Gets to do commercials. Uh, win saves days once that job he has three very successful seasons by by pit football standards <laughs> at least uh the alternate time timeline uh wvu pulled hangs on to win you know maybe it's not impressive but whatever they somehow win uh rich rod decides he's gonna stay at wvu because lord knows it's almost heaven uh <laughs> les miles decides to go to michigan um wvu beats ohio state for the national championship I don't know. That's probably questionable. I mean, if the Pitt defense could figure out their offense, I mean, why couldn't Ohio State? I think it was with Trestle still, too, right? Yeah. So, um, WVU's national championship win legitimizes them, and they are invited into the ACC with Syracuse instead of Pitt. So now Pitt, WVU, because of that. So that really hurts. So Pitt's on the outside. Even though 80 Steve Pearson has signed once at the contractor extension before the WVU game, Peterson, as he is wont to do, changes his mind and lets Wonstad go after three unsuccessful seasons. Pitt hires some mediocre coach and ends up the same situation they always are in. <laughs> uh, the Big East football and no interest. They can't get in the Big 12. They won't, They aren't going to play like in Lubbock every other year. So knowing Pitt, that would definitely be a consideration because Lord, they, they might put up with Austin because that's liberal enough for them, but. Lord knows Lubbock is too much guns and barbecue in Texas for Pitt. So, they, they, bad enough they had to go to Morgantown. They're not going clear across the country, and they're not definitely not going to Stillwater, Oklahoma, except for that one time when they had to. I mean, so so they're definitely not going to Big Twelve. Penn State definitely doesn't want them in the um, Big Ten because that would be two Pennsylvania teams, and probably like the Big Ten really doesn't need a second Pennsylvania team either. Uh, so they have they're stuck in a non-power five conference like the what is it the American Conference with which is basically the old Conference USA 
with all the USFs and all the Cincinnati and yeah, yeah. Or worse, they could they could go to the MAC conference. <laughs> they could be a MAC. It could be Maction Thursday with Pitt football. Woohoo! Then it wouldn't be as bad when they lose to the MAC team. Yeah, they'd be in the conference. like. Well, it's a conference game, Steve. You gotta understand. <laughs> you know, when they lose to Toledo every year. <laughs> Or Western Kentucky, or no, who's a Western Michigan? I think is in that, or one of the one of the directional Michigan schools in there. So things turned out really bad for for Pitt there, not not winning that game. Yeah, when we did the episode on the thirteen and nine game, Steve, you talked about the massive ripple effect it had. It really did. That is like that game really does have a big ripple effect. And I don't know what Les Miles does in Michigan, but. Yeah, Rich. I mean, West Virginia. Although they always like, they always like to spin it. Well, West Virginia didn't have the academics to get in the ACC. I think if West Virginia has just a little bit more success, the ACC doesn't care that much. I agree. I think more of the consideration was TVs and houses. Right. And Pitt brings slightly more TVs than West Virginia does because it's just you of Pittsburgh and not Morgantown. It's just more of a fan base. But if they would have been that national Rich Rod, they, they might have been the sexier pick. That might have yeah. been the tiebreaker. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, and yeah. And that's that's another reason why the Big Ten won't take Pitt because, like, they already get the Pittsburgh market with Penn State. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah, you're right. That could have been dire. And like I said, Pitt is not going to the Big 12. Like, West Virginia is desperate enough. They'll play in, you know, all these little podunk. Nothing against the Big 12, but they'll go to Norman, Oklahoma. They'll go to Austin, Texas. They'll right. go to Lubbock. They'll go to – well, I guess Dallas isn't so bad. Well, it, it, it doesn't make sense for them geographically, but they had no choice. And yeah. Pitt would have been in the same boat. And you're right, they would have. If the Big 12 would have even wanted them. You're right. I think they I think they probably do end up in a a Mac or Well, I could see the Mac because it's geographically makes more sense than right. the American. I mean well, maybe they could have went to the American, but is U Yukon's in the American, so maybe they go with Yukon. Basketball really would have stunk. I mean, although basketball maybe it doesn't matter. I mean it's not as critical as football to be in a big conference. That's so. true. Wow. Well I'm glad they won. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. Thank goodness that happened. All right, I'm going to go with a baseball one, and I'm going to go with the Pirates keep Pat Mahomes. So in the original timeline, uh, in, in, back in 2003, the Pirates signed a veteran pitcher named Pat Mahomes. Uh, he, he only made, made a, a handful of appearances that year. Doesn't really play very well on a bad Pirates team, so the Pirates let him go after the season. And yeah, Mahomes is only 33 years old at this time, so he's... Still, you know, he's not really retirement age, but he never again pitches in the major leagues. Uh, about 10 years later, his son, Patrick Mahomes Jr., is drafted as a pitcher by the Detroit Tigers, but instead of following in his father's footsteps, uh, Mahomes, Mahomes declines to sign with the Tigers and instead enrolls in Texas Tech to play football. Five years later, uh, you know the rest of that story, uh, Mahomes leads the Kansas City Chiefs to their first Super Bowl title in 50 years cementing his status as one of the best players in football today. And driving me absolutely nuts because he breaks that, like, cardinal rule, like, every, like, how many times, like, he's the only quarterback, Mahomes, where, like, he'll run to the sideline and then throw to the middle of the field. Like, I've seen Ben do it occasionally, and Ben kind of gets away with it most of the time. But, like, tell me 90% of the time you see anybody else do that in the world, what happens? It's boom, interception, boom, interception. Yeah. 
Mahomes is... I don't know how he gets away with that. I don't know if it's because he can run still. Like, I wonder if as he gets older and he won't be able to run as much, if he's going to still be able to pull that off. Because, like, that's like his signature play right now. Like, that's the play you really can't stop. He, when he does that, the only thing you can do, like, you'd have to keep him in the pocket or make him step up. Because, like, when he gets outside like that, not to go... Like, I don't know how you stop that with him. Especially his, like, Kelsey, too, who's a really good tight end. He, he's... Yeah. I feel like he's approaching Michael Jordan-esque... Like domination, like well, really it's just do. unstoppable right now. Yeah. I, I don't know how you stop that play right now. Well, here here's a way to stop them. Let's go with an alternate timeline. <laughs> nice, nice. So in the alternate timeline, the Pirates decide to bring back Mahomes Senior, uh, and he plays well enough to be on the roster for several more seasons. So he so Mahomes Senior sticks with the Pirates, and with with him playing for the Pirates, the family settles in Pittsburgh instead of Texas. And Pirates pitching coach Ray Searidge, who was a very well-known and very good pitching coach, starts working with teenage Patrick Mahomes to help him improve his pitching. So realizing that he's got a talent for baseball uh, after working with Ray Searidge, Mahomes opts to sign with the Tigers. And that guaranteed money, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Eventually making it to the majors a few years later. So he never goes to Texas Tech. He never plays football. And Kansas City never wins the Super Bowl. You don't think, like, if he's a Pittsburgh guy playing it, like, he's definitely going to at least play football. Like, you know, I don't know where, let's say they lived in, I don't know, what's what's a ritzy name? Oh, he plays, well, high, school. He plays high school football, but... Well, but, I mean, so you're saying, let's say Pat Mahomes play, Pat Mahomes Jr. plays at, like, I don't know, pick your rich suburban neighborhood in... Pine Richland. Pine Richland, yeah, that's what I was thinking, like, and so he plays for Pine Richland, and he's obviously you know a talented athlete. So he's going to be pretty good, and he's probably going to take them to a state title, at least the game, if not sure. an outright state title. So you're telling me he doesn't at least get a look from Pitt or Penn State? Oh yeah, but I but mean, he, or West Virginia? He, sure. He, I mean, I bet he he ends up at one of those three schools. So, so I, I never, yeah. So I never say he doesn't make it to he doesn't get a scholarship offer, but. It, he just because he that guaranteed money and well and because now because he's he's uh, he's worked with a professional again race Eric is legendary for turning guys from good to great mm-hmm. like he is like or mediocre to very good and so my argument here is that because Searidge works with him he's he feels like he's good enough it's not just guaranteed money like I think part of his decision was I'm probably a better I probably have a better chance of being good at football than I do at baseball. Right, I think that's why in the original timeline he went to he went yeah. to Texas Tech, you know, because yeah. at that point you have to make a decision, right? And what a swing and a miss by the other Texas schools. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, Texas Tech. Well, and then they got. I don't uh, know who the quarterbacks were at like Baylor and Texas and Houston, but geez. Right, but but yeah, so that's that's yeah, that's the argument is that he decides now he can play baseball. Why put your body through what it takes to play football when you can have guaranteed money playing for the Tigers and if you're confident enough to do it? So there you go. That's how you stop Pat Mahomes. (laughs) (laughs) Go back in time and make the Pirates keep his dad. (laughs) Um, Here's another fun one. I'm going to do a Penguins one this time. Um, The Pens pull off the three-peat. Yay! Now this is probably a little overly optimistic, but... I think I, we're feeling optimistic again after the neg- <laughs> some negative pit ones. Uh, after back-to-back cup wins, the Pens have the best regular season ever. They win the President's Trophy. Um, this is the original timeline. They have a 17-game winning streak, which I still remember. That was unbelievable. It was. 
And they only lost like on like overtime or something like or like I remember like it was a really like the other team was like just desperate to beat them like and then uh, second round of the playoffs the infamous they lose the Islanders on a game seven shot in overtime by David Bullock. Future Penguins uh, Darius Kasparitis causes the Penn star Lemieux and Yager all kinds of difficulty throughout the series. The Penn's loss and the emergence of the trap defense ends their cup runs and sets the franchise back for years to follow. So they don't win another Stanley Cup till what, 2009? Yes. So, in the alternate timeline, the Pens score three times in the third period and they just hold the lead. And they win the series in Game 7. Uh, the win kind of wakes them up. They're like, hey, we better play better. And they get ready for the tough series against some team from Montreal called the Canadians. Now, I remember this team only because, like, when my kid was younger, they bring home these books to read to them to help them encourage reading. So Joel would always pick the uh, sports books, and we picked one on the Canadians. And this was in the, this, like, Joel just thinks the Canadians are, like, the greatest hockey. And he's probably right. Cause if you read about that, that run in 93 was amazing. Like, Patrick Wall was really, really good. They played a lot of overtime and won goal games and won them all, mainly mm. because of Patrick Wall. Well, in my alternate um, series, they go seven games. It's a tough, tough series. You know, the Canadians are really good. Wall's a really good goalie. And even with the Penguins' firepower, it goes seven games. And in game seven, like, it always happens, seems in hockey, like, just like, you know, David Volick scoring the improbable goal. Rookie Martin Straka scores two improbable goals against Patrick Waugh. And the Pens move on to the L.A. Kings in the Stanley Cup final. So it's a dream matchup. The NHL loves it because it's going to be great for TV. It's Lemieux versus Gretzky. It's basically the hockey equivalent of Magic versus Bird from the 80s. It's East Coast, West Coast, big city, little city. It's just everything that like TV loves to hype. Um, depends. Lemieux and Yarger, they actually smoke uh, the, the Kings goalie, Kelly Rudy. Um, they, they win the series four games to one. Gretzky only is able to win. Uh, the Pens complete the three-peat. It's the first three-peat since the 1980s Islanders, ironically, um, which is still, I think, the last time any team is three-peated, right? Yeah, Correct. as of right now. Um, the Pens dynasty still comes to an end the next year in a rare playoff loss to the Washington Capitals. Um, between financial concerns, bad ownership, and the trap taking over the league, the Pens slide into mediocrity. But they still get that, that three-peat over, you know, probably the most optimistic part is them beating the Canadians. I think they could have beat the Kings in the final, but goaltending is always such a wild card in the NHL playoffs. And the Canadians, the main reason the Canadians won the Cup that year is because they had the best goaltender in hockey, and that was Patrick Waugh. So... I think, like you said, though, like if they get that past, would have been such a dream matchup, though, for the NHL. Lemieux, Gretzky. Oh man, that's why that. That's yeah. why there's so many reasons why that David Wall goal is or is devastating. But that was one of the big ones because it would have been Lemieux versus Gretzky, and it would have helped hockey. Like another case, like we were talking about the immaculate reception, like where that really would have hurt the NFL overall. This that really did hurt the NHL it in did. reality. It did because that would have, yeah. like you said, that would have been Bird Bird versus Magic, and and that. That Canadians, like if they would have played the Canadians, I think because they, like you said, has had such a tough series against the Islanders, it kind of would have shook them up 
And so, like, they would, it would have, have prepared the, them for yes, yes for the it, defensive-minded. In the, at that time, the Penguins had never beaten a uh, Canadian team in a hockey playoff mm. until I think they they've only beaten the Senators, and I don't okay. think they've ever beaten like in a like the Le- the Maple Leafs or the Canadians. Mm. Yeah, still, <laughs> still, yeah. still yeah. to this day, as of right now. Wow. So. That was fun. Yeah, I like I I like that so one. They have another they have another uh, Stanley Cup on the. They have six Stanley Cups instead of five. Nice. And nice. I guess the Canadians only have twenty three instead of twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, be happy with twenty three Stanley Cups. Ah, <laughs> whatever. Like eighteen of those when there was when there was like six teams. Six teams. Yeah, that doesn't even count. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm, my last one is called the Steelers keep Al Bundy on the roster. So um, this one, uh, Ed O'Neill is is signed as an undra- this is in the original timeline is signed as an undrafted free agent linebacker by the Steelers in 1969. Uh, he's with them in training camp, uh, but first year coach Chuck Knoll makes the decision to cut O'Neill. Uh, he he uh, even actually um, calls him into his office and says, "Hey, I can make a call to the Philadelphia Eagles. I think like they they would have a you know you'd have a shot to make the team there because." They're kind of thin at that position. But O'Neill says, you know what, I'm just done with football at this point. I don't want to go try out for another team. And he actually goes into acting and ultimately goes on to star in the TV show Married with Children, playing the iconic Al Bundy character. That show is the first big hit for the fledgling Fox network and creates an identification for Fox as kind of like the edgy alternative to traditional bar television. Do you know where Al Al Bundy are... Ed O'Neill went to college? No. Youngstown State, believe Did it or not. Did he really? Yes, yes, oh, he's wow. a Youngstown State alum. Yes. Okay, wow. Yeah. So he's almost a local guy. Yeah, yeah. He, that's pretty Western Pennsylvania. It's still kind of the same Western Pennsylvania. Close enough, now, close enough. Yeah. Well, and, and, and remember, too, when that show came on, like... I, well, I think I think Fox, like you said, like edgy entertainment. Like back then, the family sitcom was like Growing Pains. Or, right. right. What am I trying to think? Who's of? the like, boss? Or Cosby Show? Or, <clears throat> yeah, it was like yeah. the father's always like he might have some jokes in there, but he was always seen as the wise and right. you know not the total slouch. Yeah, not a slot. It was yeah. it was definitely cast against type. Is it was. I guess they would say. Well, and that's really yeah. I that's really how Fox like now Fox is a regular network, but like back then Well, who doesn't it, love the masked singer? <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean back then it was like ABC, NBC, CBS and and you had cable, but it was cable wasn't as big. Yeah. It was really the big three networks and when Fox came onto the scene it was like they had to kind of like they couldn't just be another network. They had to carve out some kind of identity. Well, you had TBS, the Superstation, and they were te- they started out of Atlanta. And I even remember WWOR out of New York. Right, but those are all yeah. cable stations. Like, you yeah. had to have cable, and not yeah. everybody had cable back right. then. Right, so, so I guess broadcast, they're still over air. Yeah. It, yeah, when you talked about, like, original shows, like, they, they didn't have original shows on cable back then. Like, it was all broadcast television. Right, it was I Love Lucy and, yeah, the reruns. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... So that show really, I feel like, made them the, you know, that, that, that set them apart. So let's go to an alternate timeline where O'Neill makes the team. Yeah. And, and he's part of the changing sound. Yep. <laughs> and he's part of the Steelers' um, first two Super Bowl teams in the 70s. He's not really a, a star yeah. or anything, but he's, you know, he makes the team. He's on the team. He contributes. And because he has a, a fairly long and stable career in football, and make some money doing that, he never pursues acting. 
So Married with Children is cast with a different actor playing the Al Bundy role, and because of that, never really takes off. Well, you know, they recast, after the pilot, they recast the kids. Did they? I do believe. Or, or maybe it was Peg. No, it was Peg. Okay. Because, yeah, um, what's her? I can't remember the actress's Katie name. C- Katie Seagal. Yeah. I do... They, they, I think they had to re, they did recast. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's go with the alternate reality yeah. where, where the Al Bundy's cast with somebody else, yeah, and it's, it's, it's just it doesn't, doesn't work. This yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. So the Fo- the Fox Network tries more and more traditional programming, because if they're if they're edgy married with children didn't work well, then we must need to go back to traditional programming, but it never really works, and the network eventually goes off the air altogether. See, oh wow, I, okay, I, I'm. So you think the Simpsons are kind of like because of the success of Married with Children? Well, they afraid with, to go. Married with Children was three years before the Simpsons, I believe. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I, I'd have to look that up for sure, but it was a few years before. Well, even on well, they were well, they kind of weren't their own. Like when were they on Tracy Allman? Like that was their first. Yeah, but nobody, they were just like a bit. It was like it's almost like say you know what I don't know what the current bits on Saturday Night Live are. And nobody but, watched yeah. the Tracy Allman show, so that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't going to save that wasn't going to save the Fox Network. And so I'm going Tracy with Allman. I'm going with <laughs> yeah I'm going with whoever the executives were said. Well, we tried like this edgy sitcom and it bombed. So shows like The Simpsons they weren't even necessarily going to greenlight because that stuff mm-hmm. doesn't work. So uh, Fox Fox just doesn't work as a fourth network. Uh, shows like The Simpsons, X Files, American Idol, Arrested Development, and Twenty Four are never created. The careers of Jim Carrey, Conan O'Brien, Carrie Underwood, Seth MacFarlane are never launched. And in addition to all that, the Fox News Channel is never launched, depriving rising political star Donald Trump the opportunity to endear himself to conservatives. And Jeb Bush becomes the forty-fifth president of the United States in twenty sixteen. But Seth MacFarlane's an American hero. I can't even say that. <laughs> James, <laughs> all because the studio, all because Chuck Noll decided to take a chance on a young linebacker named Ed O'Neill. Well, I, 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 I'll, I don't. I mean, it's your timeline, and you can do it. <laughs> you can do whatever you want with it. But I don't know if Rupert Murdoch would have gave up that easily. Number number one. Yep. Number two, there was like. Rush Limbaugh and all them did have a lot of success on AM radio, sure. but he never had any on TV. That's true. Sure. So there was kind of like this right-wing media that was kind of in infancy. But I will say this, too. Jeb Bush doesn't beat Hillary. Hillary Clinton's our 45th <laughs> president. I don't we're know, we're wrapping up. We're, we're uh, heading into our second uh, term of Hillary Clinton. I, I'm not going to get into the political side of this, but a lot of people do not like Hillary Clinton. I, I'm, I'm going with, <laughs> you, you, I'm He's going another Mitt Romney. He's just going to, yeah. <laughs> People are going to pick him over her. Well, well, I think, and going back to I mean, Fox, not that I'm no political expert or anything, but that's just my two cents. Is, go, going yeah. back to Fox, though, like, if, if you didn't have success on broadcast television, then maybe you don't take the chance on cable news, yeah. right? So you, you kind of, like... So, so no Sean Hannity or Bill O'Reilly well, well, by the time, the, whoever by the time, else was on that network. By the time he's one. launching Fox News, the Fox broadcast network is really successful. That's '96. Like they have the NFL at that point. They're yeah. they're a big time network. That kind of is well, what set them into the. When did CNBC and MSNBC? They were. I guess they were. They were around that same time. time. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm I'm going with Fox. Fox does not do well without. So you're left with MSNBC maybe or just maybe nobody does it. It's just you're just stuck with CNN. Just maybe. like it always was. Yes. And 
Anderson Cooper's the big show on every night. <laughs> All because of uh, <laughs> Ed O'Neill playing football. And the, fun, of, and the funny thing is, um, people listening will either really like that scenario or really hate that scenario. I still think Hillary Clinton wins <laughs> over Jeb Bush. I just, I just do. <laughs> I really do. I'm, I, I got to go with something crazy. So <laughs> well, if you're going out there, might as well throw yes, it out there. Yes, I'm, I'm going to take this all the way to its potentially <laughs> logical conclusion. And Jim Carrey, oh no, no. Well, who else? I, who else like what about Kiefer Sutherland? I guess he doesn't have a little career right. resurgence there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Carrie Underwood never gets never gets uh, spotted for her talent. Like there's a lot of people that have the Fox Network. Kelly Clarkson, yeah, for their careers. Yep. Yeah. All right, Steve, wrap us up. All right, this is the last one, and um, this is <laughs> having having to go on a diet myself. You know, so it's, it's no fun, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So this one's called John McSherry goes on a diet. So a, a good time had by all. Um, in 1992 of years of good success, the Pirates get to Game Seven of the NLCS against the Braves. They hold a tenuous two to nothing lead going to the ninth inning, only three outs away from making the World Series for the first time since 1979. Unfortunately, early in the game, John McSherry, umpire John McSherry, who was behind the plate, who was in poor health, he leaves the game and is replaced by first place umpire Randy Marsh. McSherry had a larger strike zone than Marsh, and it changed the out time of the game. When Jose Lean, just to not rehash the ninth inning too much, but Jose Lean still makes his error and Sid Bream walks, but then Ron Gant flies out and also Damon Berryhill walks. Cabrera gets his improbable hit. Sid slides in for the winning run. The Pirates totally fall apart and not even competitive for 20 years plus due to free agency and cheap ownership. Braves finally go on to win a World Series and have over 20 years of consistent success under Bobby, Bobby Cox and a great pitching staff. And, and the Barry Hill at bat, we talked about this in this episode, yeah. but the Barry Hill bat especially, at bat especially was some really, really close pitches. So, yeah, and so now, you know, make your little whatever you want, uh, time change. Um, for John McSherry decides, you know, maybe I'm not feeling too well. I should go see the doctor. So he goes to the doctor, and, and to his benefit, he kind of goes like, and I like these kind of doctors sometimes. Just tell me what the truth is. The truth is what it is, and it don't hurt, you know? So he kind of has like a, you know, come to Jesus moment with the doctor, and the doctor says, hey, buddy, you know, you're going to have a lot of health problems. You might want to lose some weight. And, you know, John McSherry kind of has like some personal introspection there and decides that he likes umpiring Major League Baseball rather than eating Big Macs. So, you know, it's a tough call there. McDonald's, umpire Major League Baseball. I can tell you which way I would fall on that, but I think John McSherry would pick pick the baseball too. So the Pirates and Braves still meet in that Game 7 in Atlanta. Now John McSherry, having dieted this whole year, is like 50 pounds less. His blood pressure is way great. He's like, wow, he's in the best shape of his major league umpiring career <laughs> and uh he doesn't he doesn't feel ill so we're in the alternate now uh he's able to stay behind the plate for the entire game so the pirates in the ninth inning leading two to nothing with drug doug drabic on the mound or i'm gonna say terry pendleton still doubles and i'm gonna say jose lean still makes his error and that puts david justice on base Standa, stan belinda comes in and he gets ron gant to fly out the score is two to one with McSherry behind the plate, the Damon Harry Berryhill bat now goes totally different. As a result, two of the pitches called balls by fill-in umpire Randy Marsh are now called strikes by McSherry. The end result is Berryhill strikes out instead of walking to load the bases. 
So with two outs, Stan Belinda gets pinch hitter, just like happened in reality. Brian Hunter to pop out for the last out of the game. The Pirates win, the Pirates win, yay! And so the Pirates win their first series since 1979. Unfortunately, they have to play the Toronto Blue Jays in the 92 World Series. The Blue Jays were really good. But we're going to stick with, like, we're going to end on a happy note here. With Doug Dravick and Tim Wakefield, the Pirates have two pretty good pitchers. The Pirates defeat the heavily favored Blue Jays in six games. Uh, the Pirates win their sixth World Series, uh, also their first since 1979. Stan Belinda is now a Pittsburgh sports legend. And uh, he gets those tough three outs in a game seven with nobody out and a couple guys on base. And he pushes the Pirates to, to push the Pirates to the World Series. He opens his restaurant in a now empty storefront that would have been Bettis's restaurant since he fumbled. <laughs> and, you know, and Ben didn't make so it. So we're in the same. Universe. We're combining okay. the alternate timeline. So okay. yeah. So yeah. So now there's this empty storefront downtown. You know, to the Steelers, they haven't won a Super Bowl in a long time. But uh, so so he opens his. Uh, his own restaurant in the north side, and he likes to call it bases, bases Loaded. Nice. Yeah, the pop-up French fries and the Barry Harrell dessert are great, I hear, down there. <laughs> uh, Sid Bream retires after the season. He spends the rest of his life in an- anonymity in Butler. You know, hey, Major League Pension's pretty good. You can probably live pretty well up there in Zealian Opal, right? After a nice, he had a good baseball career. Barry Bonds and Doug Dravick still leave via free agency. And the team still does struggle due to the economics of baseball. But fans are kind of able to take like that Miami Marlins kind of sauce. Hey, we had a winning run and we got a got a World Series out of it. And with the Penguins winning two Stanley Cups, or if we want to continue with the alternate, now three. If we combine all our alternative, now the standings have three. And the Pirates add a third championship to the early 90s, making it one of the most successful sports eras since the 1970s in Pittsburgh sports history. Uh, all because John McCary decided to to not eat get a Big healthy. Mac. Yeah, yeah. See, health matters, folks. It does. Uh, yeah, eat, it does. Eat, eat right and diet. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know maybe maybe we can combine all you know Bill Belichick gets hired so you know it's just you know all roses for <laughs> Pittsburgh sports. We like have as many championships as like New York now or LA. <laughs> yep. <laughs> with yeah, only let's our... just let's how about we have a universe with all the good ones and then we'll have an alternate universe <laughs> with all the bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Good way to end, Steve. <laughs> Good way to end. Well, thanks everybody. Thanks for humoring us and and uh, engaging us in this. This was uh, fun just to consider some alternate realities here of of what could have happened. Uh, any last thoughts, Steve? Uh, I still like the Berry Hill dessert and the pop up French fries. Yes, yeah. yes. We'll I guess to... John McSherry couldn't have any, but uh, no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> No, he but would, he, 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 would have, he a could have a salad. Yes. He could come in and have a salad without the they French fries. They could name a salad on. after him. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have French fries on right. it. Right. It has like some sort of diet dressing on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and well, also, you know, for, for, for poor Umper John McSherry, maybe he lives longer. He doesn't have that yeah. heart attack before that game yeah. in Cincinnati. So for yes. umpire John McSherry, it really, you know, not the, it was a moonlight grant. It made all the difference in the world yes. to him. Yes. <laughs> yes, that would have been <laughs> much better for him, obviously. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, please check us out on our website at pittsburghsportsmemories.weebly.com. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Check us out anywhere where you get your podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. Uh, that helps other people find us. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>